glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Right, would you stand please then? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Many of you probably could quote this verse. Let's read it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, if you would, the Psalm 77. I want to read one verse in Psalm 77. The Bible says, verse 14. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. I believe the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is equally at the same time a, a demonstration of Psalm 77, 14. The greatest wonder God has ever done is sending his son into this world. And that is what's being spoken of in Isaiah 9, 6. Thank you. you may be seated. Let me give you some definitions because we're focusing in today on his name, Wonderful. Uh, it may be one of the more challenging ones to tackle uh, in the sense that some of these others immediately, if you read of him being the counselor, we know we're speaking of his wisdom and his words. The mighty God, they're speaking of the power that Jesus Christ has as God in the flesh. The everlasting Father speaks of his oneness and the, the, the truth that there's one God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, these three are one, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, as well as other scriptures that bring forward the truth. There's one Lord and three persons. Uh, and then, of course, the Prince of Peace. Uh, and we can see all those, but the, the idea of wonderful, uh, if we're going to get a hold of what, why he's called wonderful, I think you have to have it in the context of Psalm 77. He is the God that doeth wonders. And so I thought of this this morning. I'm... I'm my mind doesn't stop hardly. It just it, there's times it just keeps rolling. And so this morning, thinking about some of these things and thinking, and I don't remember what brought this into the context of my mind, but uh, of people and how many times we, as truly born again, spirit indwelt people, are often dismissed merely as a religious fanatic or somebody that uh, you know that's your way of thinking, your way of believing. And what you want to have is a life lived so. Uh, under the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ and empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ that it demonstrates that he's truly alive. He is living, but what we need to do is live our lives in such a way that in essence what happens is he's living through us. Amen? That's what he wants to do. Our bodies are to be presented to him as a living sacrifice so that what he once said is spoken through our mouths. Where he wants to go is accomplished through where we go. The work he wants done is accomplished through our hands. And so he is living his life through our bodies. The local New Testament church is called his body, meaning Jesus Christ is working on earth today, but his body or the execution and the carrying out of his will is the church. So the church is actually acting in, 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 in conjunction with the mind of Christ to carry out his will, his work, and proclaim his word on earth. And so you might get the idea... If we're succeeding at that, if we are letting the Lord have control in our lives, and our lives should so state the gospel is not some fairy tale, my life proves it's true. Yet there are many lives that are lived that way. How many people have been transformed by the gospel? Many in this room. You you are not what you were when you were born naturally. God has saved you, put a new life in you, put new desires in you. So what you might expect is the lost world to perk up and say, hey, there is a God. Look at the wonderful things. One of our last points that we find causing to be a wonder is the manifestation of the Spirit of God in the lives of saved people. And you would expect the world to fall on their face and repent and believe on Christ, but they still many times do not, right? I've got to think about this. If you can dismiss creation and say there is no God, it's not very hard to dismiss a new creature and say there is no God. Now, if you can look around you and say, I don't believe in a God. The Bible says, God said, you're a fool. Amen? So what we're dealing with today is God does wonders. How many of us, when we read Psalm 77, 14, though, and you think of the God that doeth wonders, you think of history. Hasn't God done some wonderful things? 
You know, we might often don't think we don't think he's still doing wonderful things. And here's what happens: we focus more on what's going on in the world and what perhaps. And I, don't misunderstand me. There's a lot of evil in this world. And I, but here's what I believe: the God of this world, little G God, we learned about in Sunday school, the devil endeavors to do is to to conceal the glory of God. He desires for us to miss the wonderful thing God has done. And I stated it earlier. But the, the greatest wonder that God has ever accomplished in human history is coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God has visited man as a man. And 2,000 years later, we must ask ourselves this morning, do I still find that to be a wonderful thing? Do I, is my attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ, man, you know what? His name, wonderful, is not something we simply use it Christmas time, it's a fact. He is truly wonderful. And I don't mean like you'd say it about your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Let us not be cheap. Let's define the term. So I, I want to begin with that this morning. If we're going to consider his name is wonderful, capital W, then we need to define some terms. The word wonder, according to the Webster's 1828 dictionary, means this. That emotion which is excited by novelty or the presentation to the sight or mind of something new, unusual, strange, great, extraordinary, or not well understood. Something that arrests the attention by its novelty, grandeur, or inexplicableness. Wonder expresses less than astonishment and much less than amazement. It differs from admiration in not being necessarily accompanied with love. By the way, we'll find uh, demonstrations of that in the Bible. People that wondered at the words of Christ but didn't believe on him. They wondered at him, but they didn't admire him. It is not being necessarily accompanied with love, esteem, or approbation, nor directed to persons, but wonder sometimes is nearly allied to astonishment, and the exact extent of the meaning of such words can hardly be graduated. So wonder is the effect of novelty or grandeur, these kinds of things. Many times it can be described as the effect of novelty upon ignorance, meaning I'm, I'm confronted with something I've never seen or known before, a truth or perhaps a reality that I am not familiar with. I'm ignorant of until the moment I'm confronted with it. That's what the word wonder means, according to Webster's 1828. The word wonderful it means this, adapted to excite wonder or admiration, exciting surprise, uh, something strange or astonishing, so the idea of the Lord being wonderful is He Himself is is a source, if you would, of awakening to us, to excite in us um, admiration, or to excite in us uh, that that uh, an emotion of I'm not familiar with this. So when the Lord Jesus Christ came to Earth, He stirred wonder in the hearts of men. So as I studied out the, the meaning of the word, and again, Webster's dif- Dictionary, is that's his definition. It's not a perfect definition, but it gives us an idea of what we're dealing with. The word wonderful, uh, according to Strong's Concordance, means this, uh, means a miracle, a marvelous thing, something that is miraculous or marvelous. And then the word wonder itself uh, means uh, being brought to, to be dumbfounded, to stupefaction or surprise, astonished, to wonder. As I pondered this, I thought, I know, I know in the New Testament there's numerous times the Bible says that when something related to the Lord Jesus Christ that people wondered. They wondered. That begins in the story of his birth. But as I looked it up, we can break it down into four categories in the New Testament. So bear with me. This is kind of a rapid-fire message in the sense that we're going to go from one place to another in the New Testament seeing that Jesus Christ in his earthly life vindicated the name Wonderful. He's called Wonderful. Does he live up to his name? Does he excite astonishment and amazement through his miraculous uh, life and his miraculous death and resurrection? Does he excite that in people? And, of course, he does, particularly to those who believe on him. Luke chapter 2 now, if you would. Let's begin. So we're going to do the New Testament We've seen the Old Testament prophecy and the name given to him, wonderful. And so let's trace through very briefly some times in his life where the Scripture, the Holy Spirit records that as the Lord Jesus was brought into this world and manifest himself to man, people wondered. He excited that emotion of 
stupefaction, if you would, and astonishment. Many times the Bible says when the Lord spoke or acted, people were astonished. They were astonished at His doctrine. They were astonished at His miracles. So we begin here. Number one, we find in Scripture that when the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, there was wonder over the manner of His birth. There was wonder over the manner of His birth. I was... Last night, I got distracted. I, this is a, boy, I tell you, I, I, I am easily distracted. But I saw on a news feed that there was supposedly an explosion, a large explosion in Post Falls. Some of you may have read about that. And um, I ended up te- texting Pastor Hohenstreet. Hey, you guys okay down there? And he said, I'm on duty. I, nothing's going on. You know, <laughs> he works the fire department. So, But it was all over. I mean, it was, it, it was supposedly like, this, this sounds like an explosion of a gas plant. People were rumoring that train cars had blown up. Number one, I'm reminded of how foolish humanity is to spread rumors unfounded. Uh, but number two, many people were in wonder because there were recordings of a flash and you could hear the boom. I mean, it was on people's cameras and so forth. And people were astonished because it's not normal. It's not normal to be sitting in your kitchen and the walls rattle. I remember one day sitting, so bear with me for a minute. We were sitting in my house in Alpine, Tennessee. We lived, you'll love this, we lived on Dog Walk Road on Goat Barn Hill. I'm not making it up. We lived at 1646 Dog Walk Road on Goat Barn Hill next to Nettle Carrier Creek, which is down the road. And that's where we lived, Appalachian Hills of Tennessee. Sitting up there on Goat Barn Hill, one day we hear boom, and I'm not kidding. The pictures rattling on the wall. The windows are shaking. Like, whoa, what happened? We were in wonder. <laughs> that doesn't happen every day. Bless his heart, our dear neighbor was a National Guard Reserve. He had swiped some hand grenades and tested one of them in the one-acre lot next to his house. And uh, this is the same guy that he... Anyway, I could go a long way about what this fellow did. He fired guns across the property, ricocheted them off the building of the roof next to our house. He was a piece of work, but he had exploded a hand grenade... And it shook houses half a mile down the road. We were all in wonder because it caught our attention. This doesn't normally happen. I say all that in that illustration. What would I read about in Post Falls last night? It's not what you're expecting. It's not what's normal. It's not what you're planning for. It's not in the realm of normal daily living. There are certain things. You see a car slide off the highway. You don't want to see it, but in this time of year, you kind of expect it. But there are things that catch us off guard. I'll say this. When God visited man in the person of Jesus Christ, all but a handful of people were caught completely off guard. 400 years, God had gone silent on the nation of Israel. He had not given open revelation to them for 400 years. I'll tell you what, when God goes quiet on you, something's bad wrong. You can get a handful of people in the Bible that God refused to speak to. How many know the silence is often louder than speech? King Saul begged God to give him some answers, and God would not speak to him. It was a bad day for King Saul. I read this week, uh, when, he, when he couldn't get an answer from heaven, he turned and opened the door to hell. And truly went to a witch and said, well, then you talk to me. So King Saul, you find Herod begged to see a miracle from Jesus and asked Jesus to speak. And you know how many words Jesus would say to Herod? None. Some say, I go to church and God never speaks to me. It's not a fault on God's part unless the Bible's not being preached. Amen? I open my Bible and God never speaks to me. Tremble. Ask the Lord to help you. Amen? God isn't speaking. It's not a good thing. But I would say it's 400 years of silence. God had not spoken to the nation of Israel. They had rebelled against Him. He had chastised them. He had judged them. And now God is going to, in the person of Christ, visit them. That's the Bible word in Luke chapter 1, that God hath visited His people, Mary said, and Zacharias said, And so when he did, all but Mary and Joseph and a handful of people that God had already revealed what was taking place, it took the world by surprise. Here's what the world expected. You know this. When the wise men came looking for Jesus, where did they go? They went to a little city in Bethlehem in Judea. No, no. They expected a king to be born in a, a palace. That's what you would expect. And from the moment Jesus was born, he put those around him in wonder. So there was wonder at the manner of his birth. Look at Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. 
And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this should be a sign unto you. You should find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds, these common men, men that lived in the fields with their flocks. These are cattlemen. They're, they're sheep-raising guys. This is, this is as common as you get. They're going around saying, you are not going to believe what happened to us last night. Well, what happened? We were just in the field like any other night. Stars are shining, and all of a sudden, the heavens opened up, and angels appeared. And how many of you read the Bible, and if you're familiar with the Bible, it can start reading just like a storybook. And you don't actually stop and think, these are actual historical events that took place. If we're not careful, we can feel about a miracle like, well, miracles happened all the time back then. I mean, people are getting angels all the time showing up in the sky singing. No, if an angel showed up tonight and started singing to you in the sky, it would be as odd to you as it was to them. This is not normal. This is out of the ordinary. You, angels hardly ever appear as anything other than a man anyway. Normally they're unaware. We, we don't know that they're an angel. But these are angels and the heavenly host saying, he, the, 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 the Messiah is born, the long-awaited Messiah. And the shepherds start unfolding their story and saying, angels appeared and said that we're to go to Bethlehem and we'd find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's death clothes. Funeral wrap. That's what swaddling clothes is. And it'd be lying in a, in a manger, a cattle trough. And it's no wonder people wondered at what they said. Tell us that again. Are you sure it wasn't a dream? Look at it, it wasn't a dream. And there were 20 of us or 10 of us. How many shepherds there were? There were multiple to establish this as a fact. And they went about the whole country telling everyone, you would not believe what happened. You're, the, the Messiah has come. He's been born. Did you guys go to, the, to Jerusalem? No, we went to Bethlehem. Bethlehem. But if you knew the scripture, you'd say, oh, of course, Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephrathah. It was prophesied. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. He would be born in Bethlehem. Though it was least among the thousands of Israel, yet out of Bethlehem would come the ruler. And so then, three things to see about the wonder of the manner of his birth. There was the manner of his incarnation. That's wonderful. He was born in a very wonderful way. He was conceived in a wonderful way. The only human in human history to be conceived without an earthly father. Just, uh, just Mary. He was birthed through the womb of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we know, but the Bible says that he would give a sign. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. And we'll read it. Isaiah chapter 7, by the way, let me just say this. It's important to note this and not to be contentious, but to be informed. Many of the new translations of the Bible say a young woman shall conceive. Is it a miracle or wonderful if a young woman conceives? Uh, Friend, that's just natural. But when a virgin conceives, it's a miracle, and that's wonderful. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1 tells us, of course, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy and of that sign. Matthew chapter 1, when the Lord is speaking by way of a dream to Joseph, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So the manner of his birth was wonderful because of his incarnation or the conception through the womb of a virgin. It was wonderful because of the manner of his introduction. We've already dealt with that. The manner of his introduction. He is introduced by a band of angels. We find no one else in the history of humanity introduced to humanity in this way. No king was ever born like this, but Jesus Christ was introduced by angels. Here's what I love about the story of the birth of Christ, though. As we work through the story of the birth of Christ, he is most available to the common everyday man. 
Christ came and made himself available, touchable. We've said this many times. But if he had come in a palace and sitting on a throne, only the aristocracy could have touched him. Just like we are in our humanity. If you're a, if you're a who's who, the average everyday person can't get to you. Try it. Call, call, call your senator this week and get a personal conversation with him. You have a better, better chance of that in Idaho than you will in any other state probably. <laughs> Uh, you try calling the president this week. Try calling the secretary of defense this week and just see if you can have a personal conversation with them. But Jesus Christ came, and if you would call on him and you'd believe on him, you could come to him. He was born in such a way that common shepherds could come right into his very presence and give, the, give him their worship. He was also born in such a way where wise men who were endowed with wisdom and wealth could come and worship him. But the fact of the matter is, in the manner of his introduction, it was wonderful. It's not the way you would expect the God of heaven to introduce himself. You would think he would come in what we call grandeur, but what is, what is lovely to man and what, what, is, what we love, God hates. Read Luke chapter 16. Man puts a high priority on wealth and position and, and, and status in society, and that means nothing to God. When God placed his son in a home, he didn't put him in the home of an, uh, of an aristocrat. He put him in the home of a carpenter. Amen? The Bible says in his earthly ministry, the common people heard him gladly. When someone tells you, you're just a commoner, you Christians are just down-to-earth common folks, say, praise God. I'd hate to have my head so high in the clouds I can't hear God. <laughs> and by the way, we have to be low to have communion with God. God communes with those who have a contrite spirit, Isaiah 57, 15. And so the wonder found in the manner of his birth, in his incarnation, in his introduction by angels to shepherds, and in his infancy. This is further uh, solidifies what we're talking about. Uh, Mary and Joseph, you can study the entire account of Jesus' birth. He's born. There's not room for him in a regular dwelling place. No room for him in the end telling you the people there had no clue who he was, had no clue who Mary and Joseph were. They were not in tune with the Lord. He's born in a stable and laid in a manger, raised in a little house in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph so poverty-stricken that when it's time to offer the offerings for the, the purification after the birth of a son, the Bible says if you were poor, you could offer pigeons or turtle doves. You know what Mary and Joseph offered in Luke chapter 2? Not a bullock, not a lamb, pigeons, and turtle doves. They were so poor, that's all they could afford to offer. And God said, that's, so, here's the idea. People say, well, if you want to, you know, you want to be a somebody, you've got to have this and this. I'm going to tell you what, the Lord, the Lord, the God of heaven, put his only begotten son in the home of people so earthly poor, they couldn't afford but to give the minimal amount to, as a sacrifice at the temple. God doesn't think like us, does he? Yeah, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. What we need to do is roll that forward today. Many people today miss God because he's wonderful. He does not operate the way man operates. God can do as much to a surrendered child as he can an educated theologian. Hear me now. He can, with the lunch of a lad, he fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. He didn't use Andrew's lunch. Andrew was too good at math for God to use him. Don't miss what I just said. Andrew had everything figured out and figured out what God couldn't do because of what man didn't have. And if the little lad did, he said, I got a lunch, you can have it, you're Jesus. And Jesus did a miracle with a surrendered child that he couldn't do with an intelligent disciple. You with me? God doesn't work our way, does he? In the manner of our saviors. But today we say, we want to serve God. Boy, you've got it. I'm not... I'm not against education. We don't need to be stupid. I don't mean that. We need to be wise. How many know that wise is different than intelligent, though? You can cram a lot of facts in your head and be a fool. You can. It's been said a wise man can learn from a fool's folly, but a fool can't learn from anybody. And that's the truth. We need to be wise, but here it is. The fact of the matter is, is that God does not work in our way, and his birth reveals that. There's the wonder in the manner of his birth. Number two, there's the wonder of the ministry that he performed. Go to Matthew 15, if you would. Matthew chapter 15. So as he grows, and then at the age of 30, the Bible says he began his earthly ministry. He began to perform miracles. Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 31. We have a sampling 
of some of the miracles he performed and what it effect it had on those who saw what he did. Matthew 15, 29. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. So after Jesus heals the sick, the Bible says the multitude wondered. He's wonderful in his birth, in the manner of his birth. He's wonderful in the ministry he performed. I'll give you a few examples of what he did in his miracles. Through his miracles, the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated his power over sickness and disease. We just read that. He demonstrates his power over the weather in calming storms. I'm going to read these for time's sake. If you want to follow along, that's fine. We just want to establish the point that in his earthly ministry, he is wonderful in the manner of his birth and the ministry performed. Luke 8, 25, Mark 6, 51. They both give us illustrations of the Lord calming a storm. And the fact is, after he did, his disciples wondered at him. Luke chapter 8, verse 25. I'm just going to read these verses. Luke 8, 25. And then Mark 6, 51 is a different storm, but the response is the same. Luke 8, 25. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. Let me just reiterate this. I mentioned it earlier, but I want to say it again. Many times we get the idea the disciples were used to his miracles, as though this was common, as though this is something they expected. No, we must understand when Jesus said to the storm, Peace, be still, and it would... It was as shocking to them as it would have been to us. When he said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. They were as used to seeing dead people come out of the grave as you and I are. It doesn't happen. So we have to understand, this is why the Bible records, and they wondered. There's a man here. How many of you have ever seen a blind man in a moment? Not through surgery, not through operation, not through uh, glasses. You've seen a blind man. uh, He's blind. He can't see a thing. Someone says to him, you can now see. And he says, I can. How about that? We don't see that. A miracle is outside of what is natural. It's when God steps in and proves that he's God by overcoming what man cannot. So the sickness Jesus demonstrated through his miracles, his power over sickness and disease. You know why that's important? Because it is sin entering humanity that brought sickness and disease. I don't mean every person's particular sin is why they're sick. There are false religions that teach that. That's called superstition. But in general, there was no sickness in the world until there was sin in the world. And then with sin came sickness, but it gives God an opportunity to show that His grace is greater than the effects of sin. And so then, His power over sickness, His power over the storms, shows His power over nature and over all creation. I love the miracles. The Lord Jesus tells Peter, go cast a line and catch a fish. There's a few things that tells us. Number one... He knew where that fish was in the sea. He knew how Peter could catch it. And he knew that fish had a coin in its mouth. That tells who he is. No mere human, no no supercharged human could do that. This is God in the flesh. He, his miracles show his power over sickness and disease, power over creation and nature by his power over the storms, and above all, his power over Satan. Luke chapter 9, verse 43 We see his power over Satan in his earthly ministry of miracles. Luke 9.43. Two things Jesus mentions often in establishing himself as the Son of God on earth. His works and his word. His works and his word. And what he did is he did his works so that people would believe his words. You realize his works and the miracles were not the ultimate goal. They They were the tool to accomplish the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that we would believe on him, that we would take him at his word. God counts it a greater accomplishment when you believe his words than when you get a miracle in your life. Amen? We need miracles. We We need a resurrection of the sign wonders. No, we don't. We need to believe the word of God. That's God's ultimate goal. He wants us to believe him. And so his works were accomplished that his word might be believed. We'll see that in the text of Scripture in a moment. Luke 9, 43. The Bible says... 
And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered everyone at all things which Jesus did, he sent his disciples, let these things sink down into your ears. If you back up behind that, in Luke 9, verse 37, it says, And it came to pass that on the next day when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child, and lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And as he was yet coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, everyone at all things as Jesus did, he said unto his disciples. So here he is demonstrating his power over the devil and over devils. You'd find the same thing in Luke chapter 11, verse 14. I'll read that quickly. That the Lord Jesus is wonderful, not only in the manner of his birth, but the ministry performed through his, his miracles and in his message. We'll see in just a moment. Luke eleven fourteen, And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb, and it came to pass when the devil was gone out. The dumb spake, and the people wondered. He affected wonder everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, who is this man? How can he do these things? Now, again, if we're not careful, we're sitting here this morning and say, well, that's neat that God used to do wonders. Isn't that neat? That there was a time when God did wonders? Isn't it neat there was a time when God would actually deal personally with men and help them and meet their needs? And Yeah, that's neat. God still is a God of wonders. Amen? The Lord Jesus specifically, John 20, tells us that his, the purpose of his miracles and the recording of them, not only the performing of them, but specifically the recording of them and the preservation of them in our Bible is that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that the greatest wonder of all might happen, and that is that you might receive eternal life. John chapter 20, verse 31, 30 and 31, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing ye might have life through his name. The recording of the wonderful miracles he recorded is that we might realize and believe he is the Son of God and have eternal life. Now, that's the message. There's wonder in his miracles, but there's wonder in his message. May I say this? How how many messages are there in the world today? You go go online and you you got every religious nut in the world out there saying all kinds of things. Truth? Not just messages about God, messages about the environment, messages about uh, messages about politics and society and family. I mean, the, the, the messages that are out there are untold. But when you open your Bible and read, there is nothing that reads like this. There's nothing like this book. You can read people that write about this book, but it's not like reading the book. This is God's Word, and there's nothing like it. And so there is a wonder in His message. Notice in Luke chapter 4, verse 22. And again, if you have time to turn, that's great. The Lord Jesus has just been tempted of the devil. He's come down off of the mountain. The Bible says He went into temptation full of the Holy Ghost. He comes out of temptation full of the Holy Ghost. He has gone against the devil. He has conquered him with Scripture. Now He comes and He goes into His own hometown, the city of Nazareth. And when he does, and I'm paraphrasing for time's sake or just kind of filling you in here, he goes into the synagogue and he asks for the book of Isaiah. And they deliver him the book and he stands to read and he reads from chapter 61 and some other select passages there in the book of Isaiah. And he says, this day is this prophecy fulfilled in your ears. It was about the Lord Jesus coming. He's anointed to preach and he's anointed to give sight to the blind and recovery of, of sight to the blind and to 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 bind up the wounded and set the captives free and give liberty. And he says, this day is this fulfilled in your ear. I am here in fulfillment of that. And this is their response to the preaching of God's word, to his message. The Bible says in verse 20, And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, notice what they said, is not this Joseph's son? 
he talks as though he's from God. But we know him. He's too common. You see how the wonder of the manner of his birth is used in the wonder of his message. You know, there are many today that wouldn't dream of darkening the door of a simplistic Bible-preaching church. They cannot imagine God could meet them there. They wouldn't let a common Christian just give them the gospel from that common book called the Bible. And in that, they missed the wonder of God. He is wonderful. The Bible says, that's why we said wonder is not always attached to admiration. In Nazareth, shortly hereafter, he begins to rebuke them for their unbelief, and he takes some Gentiles and says, you know what? When there was a famine in Israel, God sent Elijah to the widow of Sarepta, and there was no widows that believed God enough in Israel. And, uh, and then he talks about the queen of Sheba and how she came from far. And he rebukes them with the example of believing Gentiles in the Old Testament. And they took him out of the brow of the hill and tried to kill him. After they wondered at what kind of words that proceed out of his mouth? The gracious words. You know what? This book is filled with gracious words. It really old, but people say, well, maybe the New Testament, not the Old. No, Old and New Testament alike. I read of a man named Manasseh, a wicked man. In the end of his life, he repented toward God and God showed mercy on that man. What grace. We've preached recently on Rahab the harlot who deserved to go to hell and God showed her grace and pardoned her sins. Did he not? And we wonder at the gracious words and then we say, could it really be from God? You have lost people with Christians in their life and it's just their co-worker. It's just their, their brother-in-law. And they say, man, what they say seems to be divine, but... It's coming from so-and-so. <laughs> we still wonder at God's things today, don't we? So they wondered at his miracles and they wondered at his message. So we see the wonder of the Lord Jesus and the manner of his birth and the wonder the ministry performed. You're beginning to see a pattern. When he did wonderful things, there were two responses to the wonder. There were those in wonder of his birth and they said, this has to be God. And there were those that said, sure seems like God, this is wonderful. But Bethlehem? There were those who heard the gracious words and said, "Those none could speak that but God himself. And there were those that said, but his dad is Joseph. Two responses. You see, the Lord is still wonderful today and there's still the same two responses. We either realize the wonders because the divine has worked among us and we need to respond to him. Or we find a way to dismiss and say, well, it's wonderful. I'm not used to that. That's interesting. That's amazing. But I'm not on board. So... We come to the third. There is the wonder. Now, first of all, the manner of his birth, the wonder of the ministry performed, the wonder of his mastery over the grave. Look at Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. This is his disciples. One of my favorite texts in the entire Bible is Luke chapter 24. I love this chapter of the Bible. It's very precious to me. Uh, Luke chapter 24. And don't have time to read it all, but verse 36 says they... Thus spake Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, so this is following the crucifixion and following the resurrection, saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted um, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? <laughs> because you're supposed to be dead, that's why. <laughs> right? Verse 39, he said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And he gave them a piece of a broiled fish and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat it, did eat before them. Here we find that he, having consecrated himself to the death of the cross, has conquered the grave and upon his resurrection appears to his disciples, and the Bible says they're overjoyed. And for, for that, they're still not believing, not because of so much unbelief, it's just too good to be true. They're wondering at him being alive. May I say this? To the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when the, when the truth of the fact that the Lord Jesus is literally alive today can grab hold of your soul, it's over, it, it'll overpower us with joy. Here's why. In my hour of temptation, I have him to use the Bible word to succor me. If you face temptation, you have failed in temptation. 
Not a person in this room that hadn't failed in temptation. Amen? But if you are saved, you don't want to fail. Somewhere God puts something in you and says, I want to succeed for the Lord's sake. He, he died for me. The glory and the power of the resurrection is, is he lives for you. Not because you're the greatest thing on earth, but because he is. He lives to give you his life and strength. And when you and I can get a hold that he is alive today as he was then, it's a wonderful thing. And I don't mean, oh, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, it's transforming. I don't have to live in my power. I can live in his. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't have to face the devil. In my weakness, I can face him in God's strength. Why? Because he lives. Friend, today I'm glad Jesus died, but I am a thousand times more glad that he lives. You know what gives me boldness to preach the gospel to an unbelieving sinner? I know the God who's alive can confirm that what I'm saying is true. If it's up to me to verify what I'm saying is true, I'm up the creek without a paddle. But he lives. You know why I'm confident that this Bible is perfect? Because the one who wrote it is living. He's not dead. He's alive. And you know what? That is a wonderful thing. It ought to cause us to go out and do what... The, you know why the first church went and turned the world upside down? They knew he wasn't dead. They knew as much as they were in a body of flesh and bones, he is as well. And when Jesus appeared in that upper room and they saw him, the Bible says they wondered at his resurrection. But you know what's amazing? Do you realize factually the Pharisees and Sadducees accepted the resurrection as a fact? They did. They believed Jesus was alive before the disciples did. Remember the, the Roman soldiers came and told them? Somebody rolled that stone away and they were frightened, knocked the soldiers out and the Pharisees and Sadducees paid large money saying, be quiet lest his disciples say that what he said was true that he raised from the dead. Here's some hush money. Some of those men knew he was alive. Yet some of those men are in hell today. They factually accepted that Jesus was alive, but they still did not put their trust in him. Huh? The truth? Huh? It's true. There are those that knew the Lord Jesus. After Lazarus raised from the dead, Jesus called him out of the grave. The Bible says that some of those that saw it believed on him, but others went to the Pharisees and said this is what he did. You see the twofold response? There's wonder at his mastery over the grave. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, Peter's preaching. He says, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. There's the wonder of his mastery over the grave. And then finally, Acts chapter 3, verse 10, there's the wonder over the manifestation of his Holy Spirit through the lives of believers. Acts chapter 3, verse 10, I cannot remember for the life of me who it was. There was a, it was a, a Catholic, I don't know if he was a cardinal, I want to think he was a cardinal, and I, forgive me, I didn't write this down, I wasn't planning on using this illustration, but it's, it's applicable. Walking with one of the popes long ago, and the pope showing this, this, this Catholic man in hierarchy, I don't know what his position was, said, well, we can hardly say with Peter and silver and gold, have I none? He was showing the coffers of the Vatican. And the response was, and we can hardly say, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. I mean, we have the silver and gold, but we don't have the power of God. Yeah, we, we can't say, silver and gold have I none, but we also can't say, rise up and walk. Do you realize God was still working the same way? After Jesus ascended to heaven is where we are in Acts chapter 3. The Lord Jesus, in the body of flesh and bones, has ascended back to where he came from. He came by a miracle and he left by a miracle. And he's gone back into heaven and he gave his Holy Spirit to indwell believers in Acts chapter 2. And the preaching is taking place in 2 and then Acts chapter 3. A notable miracle is going to take place. We think today, if you're going to do great things for God, you've got to have a lot of finances. Now, God uses money if we'll let him. But do you realize the first church was poverty stricken? When, when the beggar at the gate called Beautiful asked Peter and John for money... Peter could honestly say, 
You know, Peter was always about money. He never had money. There are people that you, you judge other people as unspiritual. They don't have cash in their pocket. What's wrong with you? You're irresponsible. You don't have enough money. Get over that already. Money's not God. God is God. When Peter needed some tax money, you know what he had to do? He had to go catch a fish. He forgot to lay up anything in savings. He was a fisherman, and he couldn't lay up in savings. So Jesus said, go catch a fish, take the coin that's there, and go pay taxes for you and I so they don't get offended at the word of God. So Peter did what he told told him. Now he's at the gate called Beautiful going in to pray like he's supposed to. Peter's got that right, amen. And the beggar looking for silver and gold. Peter says, silver and gold have I none. But I got something better than that. Such as I have, give I thee. Now Peter, as an apostle, an early Christian, had the ability to do miracles in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, rise up and walk. The man rose up and walked immediately. He had never walked from birth. The Bible says he was walking and leaping and praising God. You know what the Lord Jesus was doing? Demonstrating he is still alive. The Bible says the response was people wondered. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible says here, let me back up just a little bit. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. We see this happen today. And you see, we see people healed like this? Not necessarily, but there were signed gifts. The Bible articulates that for the purpose of confirming their word. How many of you have ever seen somebody get saved and watch the entire family wonder, what happened to that person? What happened to their language? Their attitude is different. Something's different. Now, what is different? They are a different person. I'm talking to Chris King. He's given his testimony many times. So when he first got saved, he was 24. He'd been a drunkard. He'd been a lot of things. And God saved him. The family said, oh, he's, he's got religious. He's now a fanatic. He's this. He's that. They couldn't bear to say, God changed him. Isn't that amazing how that works? They're in wonder, but they're not about to say, God did it. Here, what Peter does, he says, look, you who are in wonder and amazement, and he takes this event, he says, it's, don't think that we by our power did this. The living Son of God who you crucified, he gave this man the ability he has today. You know what? You and I should take the testimony we have. If we're not out here living a life of debauchery and sin, you know why? Because there's a living Savior. We ought to say, you know, people, by the way, if you don't live in debauchery and sin today, somebody's going to wander at you. And say, man, you're peculiar. Why don't you live the way everybody else does? Because there's a living Savior. Amen? And so then today, there was wonder. Acts chapter 8 says the same thing. For time's sake, I'm not going to read all that. Simon is there. Uh, the apostles come and lay hands and give the Holy Spirit of God to believers. And Simon sees this, and the Bible says he wondered. All I want you to see is that here, in the healing of the lame man, it's typical. Physically, what happened to him is what God does spiritually when he saves a man. There's salvation taking place. In Acts chapter 8, revival is taking place in Samaria, and the Holy Spirit of God is being given, sanctifying himself of people. As God's people are serving, the apostles are fulfilling their role and laying hands and giving the Holy Spirit. And, and, and uh, you find uh, Philip preaching in Acts chapter 8. As people are serving, people are wondering. People are in wonder that the Spirit of God is transforming lives, that He's enabling people to serve, that He's sanctifying their lives. And that's what God is doing today. Acts chapter 8 verse 13, Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. We read the Bible today and people wonder. I say, man, I've never seen anything like that. They see the life of a transformed person, a believer, and they wonder at that. Let's give us a final warning, though. If we do not submit to why Christ is wonderful, that He truly is the Son of God, there'll come somebody else one day with wonders. And let me read it to you about it. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, The beast that thou sawest was and is not shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder. I'm in Revelation 17, 8, Whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. There's coming a false Christ. There's coming a false system, a false religious system to this world, the, I'm you, the spirit of Antichrist is, is well at work in our world today. 
The denial of virgin birth is the spirit of Antichrist. The denial of the miracles of the Bible. The denial of everything that makes Christ wonderful. You know what that is? That's setting you up to wonder at the beast. There are those that will, whose names aren't in the book of life. And if you won't wonder at Christ to the point of belief, you'll wonder at the Antichrist to the point of unbelief. The Bible says those who were not written in the book of life wondered at the beast, Revelation 13, verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were, were wounded to death. Meaning he simulated death and resurrection. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wandered after the beast. Revelation 13, verse 13, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. You see, we've got the wonderful one revealed to us in this book. And if we reject him whose name is wonderful, you know what you're hungry for? There's a whole bunch of people today who claim to be Christians that have an appetite for signs and wonders. It's dangerous, friend. The next wonder worker on this earth is not Jesus Christ. It's the Antichrist, the beast. And there are those who will fall for his wonders because they did not submit to the wonders of Christ. See, Christ is wonderful in his birth. He's wonderful in his word and his works. He's wonderful in his victory over the grave. He is wonderful in the transformation of those who believe on him and the giving of his Holy Spirit. He's wonderful enough to know that he's the Son of God already. And if we won't believe on him who is wonderful, we'll believe on the wonders of him who is not. We'll fall for the wrong one. We don't believe in him whose name is wonderful. Now today, you may be here and say, I'm already a believer. Let me ask you something. If you were to pin down a name of your own volition for the Christ, would you say, oh, he's wonderful? Or would you say, I kind of lost the wonder of it all? An old song says, I've never lost the wonder of it all. I've never lost the wonder of it all. Since the day that Jesus saved me and a whole new life he gave me, I have never lost the wonder of it all. You know what will keep you realizing he truly is capital W, wonderful? You spend time at his feet. He's alive. He'll minister to you. He'll continue to change you. He'll continue to work in you and perfect you. But you know what? When Satan can break down our fellowship with the Savior, all of a sudden he's not so wonderful anymore. Maybe this morning you just as a Christian need reminded he lives up to his name. He's wonderful in his birth. He's wonderful in his life. He's wonderful in his death and resurrection. And he's wonderful in his ministry to us by the Holy Spirit of God today. Maybe somebody's here today and you've not yet been convinced that he is who the Bible says he is. And I say this, the gospel is something to be obeyed. It is something to be obeyed. God commands all men everywhere to repent. That's the command of God. If I don't agree with God that Jesus Christ is the only hope of salvation, I'm calling God a liar. You could be here this morning. God may be speaking to you say, you need to believe on my son. He's living You say, it's just that preacher. May I say this? When God's working, you'll know it's not me working or another human working. God works to convince you himself you need Christ as your Savior. I don't know how God may be applying this message today, but I do know this. His name is Wonderful.